Welcome to the Inquisitive Analysts. I'm your host, Marcus Udike. It's a show where we chat with business analysts and project managers about their challenges and triumphs, their ideas, and their contribution to their field. It's inspiring, it's upbeat, it's exciting, but most of all, it's inquisitive. My guest today is a product developer. He has extensive experience working with client delivery in the fintech and banking sector. He's a technology generalist focused on development teams. He's currently a senior IT manager and has worn many hats in the past, working as a product development analyst, business management analyst, a technical manager, and a technical business analyst, all within the mortgage software business. He was also a systems administrator at one point. So please help me welcome to today's show, Richard Odette. Welcome, Richard. Thank you, it's, uh, it's great to be here. Well, it's fantastic to have you. All right, so let's, let's get down to the um, brass knuckles here. Uh, your background is really more on the technical side within IT. So you've moved from a very technical role to a role as a senior IT manager. And first of all, let's ask, how did you get started as a technical business analyst? I mean, was it something that you planned? Uh, it was not at all what I had planned. <laughs> um, so I, I, uh, I graduated with a degree in uh, systems and computer engineering, and uh, I'd, I had sort of perceived and saw myself uh, working in embedded development. So working in little computers that connect, connect different things. And uh, out of school, uh, after a, a, a brief startup with, uh, with some friends, I, uh, I did find some embedded development work with a really cool company in Markham called uh, Classic Organ Works. And, uh, and they built embedded systems that controlled the pipes in a church pipe organ. So you hit the keys and depending on the controls you have pressed, there was a little computer that would decide which, which pipes to play. And that was a really cool job. Um, and it was, it was fun, it was a nice uh, little company. And, uh, but ultimately opportunities for growth for me were limited. And uh, I got into analysis through um, a friend of a friend uh, was uh, looking for someone at, uh, to fill a technical analyst role and, uh, and recommended me. And the company, uh, the company I went to had, uh, there was, seemed to have better prospects for growth for me. Um, so that's when, I, uh, that's when I made the switch. I've lost your audio. You're on, uh, you're on mute, Marcus. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> All right, when you do things live, that's what happens. All right. Okay, so as a technical manager, you're essentially a touch point for all technical issues from sales to post delivery within a mortgage software business. Can you give us an idea of what your job encompassed as a technical manager and, and how in that role did you engage with business analysts and project managers? Yeah, so after a few years of uh, being a technical analyst, um, I sort of developed like mastery, I would like to think anyway, uh, on, uh, on the platform we were working on. And um, I was really interested in doing more um, project type work. Uh, I had been, what I had been doing was a little bit operational and obviously moving, moving forward. And uh, so yeah, a, a technical manager opportunity uh, opened up. And uh, if, if there I was essentially accountable for the technical aspect of the delivery of uh, mortgage underwriting systems. And what that entailed was uh, we would uh, we had various 
various lenders and they would, we essentially had to provide solutions to them. And there were, there were products we had available off the shelf. And it was a matter of how do you, um, how do you tailor that, that product for uh, a given, for a given client? Because everyone targets different niches of the market and they have different backend systems. And you have this product off the shelf and you want to try to limit code changes as much as possible uh, because you don't want to deviate from a base because that introduces all sorts of complications. So as, as technical manager, uh, probably as a start, it was solutioning. So it was, you asked how I would interact with the, uh, the business analysts. So often it was a business analyst collecting requirements and documenting them and then trying to determine a best fit. So often that was, how can we get different data out of the system or how can we obtain a given workflow given, given the constraints of the system. Um, and then working alongside those requirements and eventually coming up with something, working with, um, we had uh, analysts with a technical focus who would implement the artifacts. So sort of guiding the implementation of those artifacts and uh, inevitably often there was dev work. So uh, also guiding that along and guiding the, the software towards a releasable state. Um, there was also a lot of it being an application, it doesn't just run itself. Um, and in larger companies, right, you have um, shared infrastructure teams who don't necessarily have knowledge of the application. So it's working with shared infrastructure, ensuring the right infrastructure is set up with the right supporting applications in the right place at the right time. And uh, alongside that, uh, ultimately working with the project managers to hit a timeline and, uh, and a budget. So you're working within scheduling, you're working within budgeting. Just out of curiosity, do you ever go over budget? Do you ever go over time? I think you do. And I, I don't necessarily, uh, there's different perspectives on this, but it's, it's, not, necessarily a, it's not necessarily a bad thing um, because often what, what happens, right, is you, um, and we can maybe get into this later with agile delivery, but ultimately things come up that you haven't accounted for. Um, and changing the path you're taking isn't necessarily a bad thing if it's um, like, if it, if it ultimately meets the customer's needs better. So in, in a more waterfall model, what would typically happen is uh, when a change comes up that you haven't anticipated, you file a sheet of paperwork, you file a change request, and you, you just change the time and scope of the budget. Uh, what I guess is less desirable and what does happen, right, is unanticipated, <laughs> unanticipated challenges. Uh, and then it gets more complicated, uh, but uh, ultimately, right, you, at the end of a project, right, you try to adopt lessons learned and uh, try to get better over time. We hope that we learn from the lessons learned. It doesn't always happen, but we hope. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, I, I do have someone on my team who once, who once always said, these are almost more like lessons observed. <laughs> Uh, and there are there are challenges, right? In uh, in larger organizations, that sometimes uh, uh, we we do we do our best. I love that. That seems absurd. I learned that. Okay, so you later moved from a technical manager role to a business management analyst role. So it's more of a strategic role where you're reporting directly to the vice president of Canadian mortgage technology in, in the company you work for. Some BAs, some business analysts, may have an inclination to move into a business analyst role that's heavily weighted on the business side as opposed to the technical side. 
So what's the big difference between the business management role versus say a technical management role? The difference was night and day. Um, so that was, uh, that was an interesting move that was, uh, it was, it actually, I think, surprised a number of people, including myself. So there was a, there was a structure, a restructuring and um, that I, I didn't have input into. And yeah, it was just, it was, it was where I landed following a restructuring. But uh, I had, and I, I really knew nothing about business management, but I had a, a really great, a really great manager who, uh, who was clear with what she wanted and uh, was willing to, uh, was willing to guide the way. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was uh, for, for me, it was different because I had been doing the previous thing and different is always, uh, it's always interesting to explore a new space. Um, so difference from the technical manager role was first, it was, uh, it was more operational than project-based. So typically, uh, at least the capacity I played as a technical manager, everything was, was you kicked off a project, you assessed requirements, and you, you, you sort of delivered on a fixed schedule. Whereas the business management role was, was mostly operational. Um, typically, we, uh, I manage annual planning. Um, so I would work within our line of business. I would work with the uh, operational leads, the client delivery leads, and the product leads to sort of allocate um, we have a fixed number of people. What do we want to do next year? <laughs> um, and for particularly the client delivery team, they might not know what opportunities uh, they have ahead. So typically, right, they might slot in, well, we'll probably have two new initiatives and a couple of upgrades. And the product team is like, well, we want to get these features out this year. And um, yeah, so it's, it was working with the leads on those teams and sort of establishing you know, what, what requirements do I, what resource requirements do I have for the next year? And that would help allocate people. Um, but also this was a larger organization. So if, for example, I have a client delivery team wanting to onboard two customers, that's gonna have infrastructure impact. So after we've sort of met internally, uh, I was meeting with shared services and saying, look, over the next year, um, we have our existing base, but uh, we need you to uh, like, allocate some, some system administrators. You need some capital budget for new servers because I'm planning to onboard a couple of customers. So there's, there's this back and forth. So you set this plan in stone sort of at the beginning of the budget year. Um, and then business happens, right? Uh, so there's, there's this, this typically at a monthly cadence, it's, it's going back saying, how are we doing to plan? Um, what do we have to adjust? And again, meeting with, with peers on shared services teams and uh, seeing, seeing how we're performing the plan and trying to, trying to hit our targets. Um, in addition to the planning capacity, uh, we also built out some uh, sort of like dashboards that we could then present to the leadership team with just high level, high level takes on, on how the business is doing, how we're performing the plan that would allow sort of informed decisions on how to, uh, how to address the business and how they operate the business going forward. And that, that was typically on a monthly cadence. So just out of curiosity, you're, you've got this strategy plan. You've, you've got it not sort of written in stone. Like it is, it is continually changing, but you, you need at least a good outline to know where it is you're going. Is that, would that be correct? Yeah, that, that, that's correct. Okay. Uh, and it was interesting. Um, I don't know if this is done universally, but I always, 
I'd meet particularly with resource managers because we'd, we'd forecast um, resource needs typically three months out. And uh, it was interesting. I would always revisit at the end of every month, you know, you get everyone's timesheets. And it's like, so we got the forecast and we've now got the timesheets. How did they align with how we forecast? And, and you do kind of see how like your three month out forecast is usually pretty far off. And then, you know, you get probably within 15, 20% month, like a month out. See, what I'm curious about too, and I know we're going to talk about Agile coming up, because people talk Agile, 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 you know, it's the best thing since sliced bread. But we know that Agile really works within, say, for example, uh, people developing software, just as a good example. But you've got the strategy side, which is not running on Agile, is it? It's more, much more like Waterfall in a sense, or not. Yeah, what I've, I found it's complete, when you, when you think Agile, um, what becomes important, right, is is uh, you're almost setting um, at the strategy level. You're almost you're setting a pace, right? You just if I <laughs> I'll put ten people here, right, and what they work on will will, will change like on a, a two week interval. So you're yeah you're almost setting a pace for how fast things move forward, rather than um, it's a d different way of different way of looking at things. Okay, so as a product analyst, you know, you were working in, in an agile environment. Can you, can you give us an idea of what it's like performing those monthly releases, you know, defining those user stories? What, what's, what's that all about? What's kind of neat, I'm probably going to take this question in a different way um, uh, because of sort of changes recently. Um, so for the longest time, we were... Um, we'd have sprints every two weeks and due to various constraints, actually, we would, we would sort of deploy in a maintenance window, uh, once a month. And, um, very recently our team in November, we, uh, we accomplished a goal that we've been working on for quite some time and moved our platform to, um, Azure pass. So their platform as a service which gave our application a ton of new capabilities, including zero downtime deployments. And because we have now this capability of zero downtime deployments, uh, I, I'm not concerned about maintenance windows anymore because I can upgrade the software um, without any downtime to our customers. And if I don't need to use maintenance windows, there's no need to bundle a month's worth of work together. Um, I can, when I have a feature done, I can just release it. Uh, so we've actually moved away from those monthly release cycles and moved to um, what a lot of people are calling uh, continuous, continuous integration, continuous delivery. And uh, I would say our team has been working at this since November and we're not, I won't say we haven't had any service window deployments, but we're actually, we are now gradually uh, like, Yesterday, right? Someone put in the calendar, 11 a.m. We're we're putting these chunks of work out, and uh, yeah, we we were able to deliver features. And what 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 is kind of neat when you can do that is uh, the interactions are a lot simpler. So you're no longer telling your QA team <laughs> we're touching 20 interfaces, uh, regression tests, and see what you can find, right? You're 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 working on a little bit of code, and which might touch one interface. Now your QA team is 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 less is is much 
they're able to pinpoint much closer um, to be able to limit their testing, testing scope, because it's, it's easier to understand the interactions. And so um, you can deploy these smaller chunks, testing is simpler, and uh, yeah, uh, and, and if something does go bad, the, the impact is, is typically much smaller because again, you understand the interactions and the impact. Um, I'll answer your actual question was like, what, what was it like working in a, yeah, maybe I, I can chat a little bit about how, how our team does agile. Sure, yeah, no, that'd okay. be good. Yeah. Um, initially, this particular team was brought together in uh, 2016. And uh, we were among the first teams in the organization to move to uh, Scrum. So because we were among the first, we, we actually, a lot of us were sent out on uh, like the official Scrum training and got our, our Scrum certifications, which, which was actually, um, sometimes, you know, you go for training and it's, uh, there's not much you can take away directly, but I, I actually did find, uh, given the time invested, it, it really did, um, it, it was really helpful. Um, and not so much the, the certification itself, but uh, the training that was provided. Um, and initially, I would say we started very closely to, um, like, as if, if anyone Google Scrum, right? Following that, we, we were following those rules and eventually, because the team has been working together for such a, such a long time, you, you develop a trust and uh, you learn what works. And we, we've, we've, I would say we no longer follow a straight Scrum and have just taken certain ideas from it and have, have dropped other things. Um, so for us, we, uh, we, we still meet every we have two week sprints. Um, we, do, uh, we do create user stories. We assign points to user stories. Um, but I think because of the trust and because it's been established on the team over the last five years and just the experience, um, our user stories aren't, uh, I wouldn't say they're prescriptive, like the acceptance criteria, they're, they're kind of tracking points. Um, and, and they're almost the starting point for a conversation between uh, product and development. And what will often happen, right, is a developer will look at it and then looking at the code might suggest a different way of doing things. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really like a placeholder for conversation between product and development. And uh, so yeah, we, we meet every two weeks. We sort of plan out what we, what we hope to accomplish the next, the next two weeks. Um, yeah, then we, that's, that's sort of how we, how we plan our work over time. Yeah, excellent, thank you. All right, so uh, let me see now. What else can I ask? Within an, within an agile environment, you know, you're interfacing with the development team, with the product management team, can you, can you give us an idea of what that experience was like? Um, again, I, I kind of go back to the, the conversational. So um, we still have, um, I guess the, the importance is the conversation and just meeting regularly. Um, product is still setting a, setting a, a, a roadmap and priorities. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely, it's a, it's a two-way conversation. Um, and, and like, obviously, um, the development team is very close to it and, uh, like there's, there's, there's nothing really stopping anyone from, I got an idea, right? right, right, right. Um, yeah, we, we should do this. Right. And that, that definitely, uh, that definitely happens. And what's kind of neat, um, you get challenges, right. If, um, like, like I can think of, 
um, a few over the years, and one of them is um, <laughs> email templates, right? Um, every time there's a rebranding, every time there's an address change, every time, and you know, product can just say, oh, our address is changing to this, send that out, right? And then the development team could just do the work. Or it's just like, you know what, we're, we're spending a lot of time on, <laughs> on like redoing the same templates over and over. And it's like, I have a better idea for how to do these templates, right? And instead of this time spending X hours, um, you know, making these updates, testing them, ensuring they're great, um, you know, I've like in my own time, I've looked at this, this templating system and we should move to that. And, uh, the other place we've seen that is, um, all the little labels on websites, like update and post that have to be maintained in French and English. Um, those can be a, a pain to maintain across many environments. Or if you have a white labeled product, um, maybe one bank wants to see it differently than another. And that was another great, great thing we saw come from the development team. It's like, look, there's like external products that manage this really well. What if we, what if we integrate with that? And uh, like, so yeah, we've seen some great, some great things go both ways that have that have made the the whole uh, platform come out stronger. Okay, so you've had that growth and development from that technical business analyst role to a senior IT manager role over a number of years. So how, as a senior manager, do you channel all your knowledge, all your experience into seeing the big picture within an organization? What's, what's kind of funny, I, I think for me is I'm, I'm probably work best when paired with someone who sees the big picture. <laughs> oh, okay. I would, uh, I, I think for myself, my strength is probably very much a current picture uh, <laughs> kind of person. So I'm, uh, I'm kind of pragmatic um, and I'm probably pretty good when I like, here's the problems at hand, here's the resources we have, how can we best order this? How can we best fit it together? How do we best tackle the problems ahead of us? Um, and then uh, I sometimes find it really hard to, because um, like the, the reverse is seeing, seeing big things that just aren't, aren't practical, but both are kind of important because otherwise you, you, you never move forward. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I have to pay attention to people who, who and, and try to pair up with, and it's probably important for everyone, right? You kind of see your strengths and see. Um, so I've definitely, uh, and I've, I've, I've certainly had peers and managers who, who see bigger than myself and we've, we've, we've benefited from it. Um, one thing I will say from, from a big picture perspective, so, so, and I'll say, so I'll say that's, that's not necessarily a core strength, um, but where I, I have tried to make that, that work is um, in, uh, in a larger organization, um, you'll have like larger, larger missions, larger goals, and uh, ultimately you yourself support your business and your, your, your team supports your business. But in truth, right, these, the everyone, I might support this business today and support another business tomorrow, right? It's just like as priorities shift, right? People move around within the organization. Um, so what I've tried to do for myself and for my team um, is like, it's, it's very important, right? In those, those exercises to set annual goals, the, the organization sort of says where it's going and then how do you, how do you make it real for yourself and the people, people below you? So I think um, I saw this really well done uh, with a manager I had uh, 
fairly recently, right? The, the organization set out sort of like in three years, we want to incorporate machine learning and in all our products, or we want to move to this, we want to move to this common platform. And you know, right, you're, you're, you know, the resources available and you, you might be working on a, a legacy product that's just seeing maintenance, right? So you're, you're focused on like meeting legislative changes and security fixes and, and, and perhaps there's no progression in your product, but there's the, the company has goals to advance. <laughs> like obviously, right, these are important fields for the company. So what, what do you do when you have like a, a I have a resource, right, working on this, this legacy platform. And I think where we've taken that big picture is like, we're part of this organization. And uh, it's, it's probably important, right? The focus is maintaining this legacy product, but if, if machine learning is a goal for the organization and this resource could potentially be shifted uh, somewhere else, right? It's like, maybe I set an annual goal for this person to, um, you know, spend, spend two, three days, spend a week, right? Uh, read up on this stuff, like have a, have a project outside of your day-to-day -day work. And um, yeah, and, and sometimes it's seeing, even though uh, my product might not move forward to this core platform, uh, maybe there's characteristics of that platform I could, I could incorporate in mine and sort of follow the themes that are set at the, at the top level and uh, try to see how you can best make that apply to the, the product you're working on and, and how, you, how you make that apply at the, the individual contributor level. That's interesting. Okay, so you write this fascinating blog. It's called Hotel Existence, I believe. So I bring your attention to one particular story on that blog. I've read a few of them, but this is one particular story about the, the recurring challenges that prop up within the release process in an agile environment. So for example, you know, the one story said, eight months into a project, the same problems are still there. You'd say you're playing the best hand possible with the cards we have been dealt. So what types of problems or constraints are there within a release environment? And can those constraints ever be overcome? Yeah, it was... Uh... <laughs> It's funny, I wrote that, um, <laughs> I was kind of annoyed when, um, after I wrote that article, after a meeting I had, where we were revisiting a lot of the problems we had. And uh, yeah, in the article, I, I sort of mentioned a, a manager who was moved to another team, sort of popped in to see how the team was doing. And we're just, we're just talking about the same problems. And he's like, oh, looks like I haven't missed anything. And I was just so frustrated because it was after uh, this, by, by the way, this guy, if he happens to watch, he, he, he's a great guy. I don't mean to, uh, and I spoke to him about this. Um, and over the preceding eight months, we, we had actually done like, we'd move mountains. Like it, it was like, we had accomplished some serious chunks of work. And um, yeah, it was just like, but, but yet still uh, we had these, we had these recurring problems. And for us, this was release. And so I thought about it and, um, and I spoke to him before I published that article. I, I, I published it internally. And I'm like, yeah, we still have those problems because it, it wasn't our focus, right? <laughs> the, the business sort of set out, it's like, we want to get this stuff done. And so it's like, we have these problems, but we, we like, our immediate priority is we have got to you know, we've got a target to hit. 
we can live with this, right? They're, they're problems, but we know these problems and we, we live with these problems. We can continue to live with these problems. Let's not, so in, in part, we have these problems because we're, we're focusing our attention on where we perceive the most value. And sometimes you'll have a recurring problem that, that perhaps it, it makes sense to focus on because it will solve you a lot of, um, like it'll pay off, it'll, it'll be a short-term payoff. But, but other times, right, just because you don't like doing it um, doesn't mean it's maybe the most efficient way of spending your time. So yeah, I, I wrote that article sort of with an eye to, it's like, <laughs> yeah, we still have those problems, but like, look at what we did, right? In, in spite of those problems. And I think the other thing is you, um, in, in large organizations, you, uh, you ultimately work with shared resource teams. And you, you have, there's, there's things you control and things you influence. And you, you um, things you influence can take time, right? And uh, ultimately things can do, do, ultimately things do change and can change. And often it's making a case for everyone, like you, you talk to your peers and other businesses uh, about the challenges you're having, right? And, and, and you as a consumer of shared services, um, you have to fit in the framework, right? It's, it's set up to deliver services efficiently and um, you, you're most successful when you can like talk to other businesses, right? And, and not just bring forward necessarily a challenge you're having yourself, but, but uh, working alongside. And the other thing is you, you kind of, um, like everyone is doing their best, right? And, and perhaps not everyone is, is um, like another department might, like they're, they're getting different direction, right? Ultimately they sit under another, um, they, they have their own priorities for efficiency. And um, so yeah, like ultimately everyone is, is likely trying to do their best. So the, uh, your challenges and it ultimately might come down to, uh, to efficiency, right? Um, these, these resources aren't free, they're not unlimited. And uh, yeah, ultimately uh, the processes are set up in place to serve a lot of organizations and not just, not just you. So yeah, you have, to, you have to really manage those relationships and uh, use, use your influence where it's, where, it's, where it's best spent. Choose where you spend your influence. Choose where you spend your influence, I like that, cool. Okay, last on the agenda here, let's see. We build all these technical products. You know, one caveat really in building the products uh, is security, it's a big thing now, especially cybersecurity. So this includes being cognizant, being vigilant about backdoor attacks within software. And IIBA, International Institute of Business Analysis, now has this new, this new cybersecurity certificate. So BAs now have, or rather can have a role to play in that cybersecurity arena. And like with, with any, project cybersecurity is no exception. You know, there, there needs to be a process to check for those security vulnerabilities. So let's just briefly talk about your experience. So that, you know, what, how have you been involved in cybersecurity? Just, just briefly. First, I'll, I'll say I, I, I probably have always had an interest. I can't remember not having an interest in cybersecurity. Uh, it, just, it just seemed cool. I can remember like <laughs> one of my aunts giving me a book like as a, as a young teen called The Cuckoo's Egg just about an astronomer who gets diverted into a hacking case and tries to figure out how to, um, yeah, I've, I've, so I've always had an interest, um, but professionally, it probably became more real. Um, the current product I work on processes uh, credit cards for payment. And uh, 
because it because we we process credit cards and maintain credit card information, uh, we're bound by um, the payment cards industry's data security standards or PCI DSS. I don't know if I got the acronym right. And uh, a part of there's PCI DSS is like this this big thing about all the things you have to do to to hit the certain standard. Um, but but part of it is annual penetration testing where you hire an outside firm to try to find holes in your, uh, in your system. And so where I became involved was just, uh, I guess I had cycles one day and my manager's like, here's a pen test report. <laughs> um, review and like resolve. <laughs> and uh, if you ever get one of these pen test reports, uh, if, if they're well done, um, they're, they're really interesting. And a good, a good pen testing firm will, uh, like in addition to giving you what they found, will tell you how to, how to reproduce the issue. They'll even tell you, it's like, download, download this tool, click this, click this, click this. So uh, yeah, the first thing I did was, I, like I went through every item on the list and I just, I tried to see if I could do it. And uh, occasionally you'll have false positives. So um, in those cases, you kind of document well, they saw this, but that couldn't really be exploited by anyone because we have this other measure in place. And then there's other items where, uh, where there actually is a gap, right? And, and often it's not even necessarily the application itself, but the infrastructure it's set up on. And so it's, it's, it's coordinating with other teams, right? It's like sometimes it's going to the guy who, who runs your load balancer and you're like, look, <laughs> this external firm says you have it set up wrong. Um, and so like in that way, even if, you're, um, if your focus has been mostly business, right? The, all, the, all the ingredients are there and, and a lot of it is, is a coordination activity. Um, but yeah, it's, that's how I got started was like working with that, <laughs> working with that very first. And then um, I must've been successful in that maybe. <laughs> Eventually I was, I was sort of appointed security champion um, for our line of business. So then it was like every, um, this was a larger company I was working with and with, with um, like a fairly significant security team, right? And they would, it wouldn't just be an annual activity. Um, like a part of it was this annual activity, but there's always, there's always things going on. There's always threats. And uh, so, yeah, it just essentially becoming a touch point for our line of business for the, for those items. But yeah, it, it all started with, um, with being given a <laughs> go through this pen test list and resolve. Um, yeah, and ultimately working with the dev team on dev items and prioritize them alongside with, uh, with, with regular product progression items. So this has been a great conversation, uh, Richard. Just fascinating. You know, you've got this broad experience and, and very insightful. Thank you very much. Um, just before we close off, can, how can anyone in the audience get in touch with you if, if they want to? I'm, uh, I'm an email person. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, um, I'm sure in the show notes. Uh, so it's Richard underscore Odette at yahoo.ca. Um, and you'll, you'll want to see it how Odette is spelled. It's AU, which might, uh, but yeah. So Richard underscore Odette at yahoo.ca. Uh, email is the best way to reach me. Great. Fantastic. Well, thanks for having, uh, sorry, rather, th thanks for coming on the show. It's been, it's, been, uh, it's been grateful. Thank you very much. Thank you, Marcus. Okay, you're welcome.